good evening, good morning, good Sunday, good Monday, good Tuesday. Whenever you listen to this, it's May 2nd today. So happy Brothers and Sisters Day for all that celebrates. Happy Baby Day, International Scurvy Awareness Day. Eat your citruses, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, you got to remember that. It's National Life Insurance Day. Go get a policy, you know, and just in case somebody wants to whack you, you know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm talking about. Get that life insurance policy. National Truffle Day. A happy National Truffle Day to all those that celebrate. It's also a happy take a baby to lunch day. So happy take a baby to lunch day to all those that celebrate as well. There are probably a lot of people that celebrate not on take a baby to lunch day. And that's okay, too. You know, you can just take a baby to lunch whenever you'd like. If you're the mother and father, it'd be weird if you weren't. Or like uncle, aunt, grandma, grandma, or grandma, grandpa, whatever. That's okay. Yeah, if it's a random baby, you know, that's a little weirder. You know, then you're getting into a little bit of weird territory. Uh, welcome, everybody. Weekend Sports Rap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Uh, you can listen to this podcast wherever you want to listen to it. I know we had some issues with Apple Podcasts recently. Those sons of guns over at Apple, they were making things a little bit difficult for your boy, James. Okay, they were they were trying to hold us back. But we said, listen, Apple, we we strong armed them. Not really. We just said, hey, please, for like 20 bucks, can you get us on there? And that's basically what happened. We paid like 20 bucks and they said, sure, we will get you on there. So now if you're struggling with Apple Podcasts, trying to find our podcast. It is on there now. I looked myself. It is on. Just look up weekend sports rap podcast with James Timberlake and bing, bang, boom. It's right there. It'll be on there. You can listen to all the previous episodes and all that stuff on Apple Podcasts. So if you were struggling with that before or it wasn't showing up on Apple Podcasts, it is now. We can confirm it is now. So make sure you go check it out there. You can also listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts or music or what have you. I know Pandora's doing podcasts now. You can listen to a Google Podcast, Spotify. If you want to go on the road, take a road trip or something like that. If you want to go have lunch, and it is National Take a Baby to Lunch Day, and a baby's crying or something like that, kind of getting on your nerves, put the earpods in, and let James's sweet, sweet voice soothe you over, talking about some sports, all right? That's what that, that's what you should be doing. So I appreciate everybody that listens on there. You can listen to it on sharedmedia.com as well. So so feel free to listen to it on there as well. I would, No matter where, I appreciate everybody who's listening. Tell a friend about us. Leave a rating if you can on any of those podcasting platforms. It helps, it helps us out. Uh, you know, get us in the trending section on all those podcasting platforms and, uh, yeah, appreciate you listening. And, uh, a big shout out by the way, to our sponsors as well, Jack, Kathleen Wood, 307 real estate. We're going to hear from them in just a little bit. Big shout out to them. Thank you very much for sponsoring the show. Uh, and let's just, let's get into it. Huh? Let's talk some sports. We had a pretty busy sports weekend. I would say, uh, there were some big upsets. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, regarding both hockey and basketball, all in one area of planet Earth, which was kind of weird in terms of the teams that won all come from the same area of planet Earth, which is weird. That doesn't normally happen. Uh, But first, let's start with something else. This was an upset. Uh, The Golden State Warriors beat the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento, a rowdy crowd for Game 7 in Sacramento. And the Kings fans have not seen a, a game seven in their home arena since I think it's June 2nd, 2002. If I remember correctly, that was the Lakers and uh, Kings, obviously conference finals from 2002. They lost that game, but that was the last time that we saw a game seven in Sacramento. A lot of those people, a lot of those, you know, uh, kids, if you will, that were in that arena for 2002, probably to this point, say they were like five, six, seven years old, whatever, probably teenagers. I mean, if you're, Taking like a six or seven year old to a to a game seven, that's probably not the safest thing for their little eardrums. But he, you know, I digress. Who, who am I? I'm not a parent. Uh, so you know, if they're if they're ten, eleven years old, they probably have kids of their own now that have that they'll they'll be introducing them to Kings basketball game seven, and they'll have to tell their children this is the only time this has happened since I went last time, which is 2002. That's crazy to me. Sacramento Kings tip my cap to you, but today. That day, Game 7 on Sunday, it was not their day, okay? It was not the day for them to be celebra- celebrating. They were happy to have a Game 7, but maybe that's all they were excited for. You know what I mean? They weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for a Game 7. You know who was ready for a Game 7? A guy by the name of Stephen Curry, the greatest shooter I have ever seen in the history of my time being alive. Granted, it's only 25 years, whatever, but still. I think at this point it is indisputable. There is nobody that you can give to me that you can even make an argument that Steph Curry is not better than when it comes to shooting. There's nobody in the history of the NBA that will even come close. I don't care 
how old of people you're throwing at me, no matter who it is. If you're an old head, I do not care. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter this game of basketball, the beautiful game of basketball has ever seen. Uh, I would go as far as saying this, and I've said this, I think I've maybe said this before on the podcast, but it's probably been a while. I don't really remember, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm going to say something that might be, might catch a little couple people off guard, okay? But I'm willing to say that Steph Curry is the most influential player of my time. So let's say from 2010 to now. I would say that Steph Curry is the single most influential player in uh, that period of time. I think he has he, uh, him and the team of the Golden State because a lot of the stuff that they built around him in Golden State revolved around him and the ability of shooting the basketball around putting players that could shoot the basketball around him was uh, a huge piece of that. Uh, but when he came into the league, 2009, 2010 was his first season. I would I think I would. Very could very easily argue that he changed the game and the way that we look at the game in a way in the NBA and not just in the NBA, but also the the people that watch the kids, especially the kids that watch nowadays. If you go to a any rec or a rec district, a YMCA or whatever you want to whatever you have around you, a community gym or something like that, there are people that are going to be imitating Steph Curry arguably more especially kids more than any other player if you ask them who they love the most or who they love watching the most i would garner to wager that steph curry is going to be up there as one of the most called out names if you went into that gym or a ymca or whatever even a high school basketball team if you go and ask a high school basketball team a team that's actually you know together and playing high school basketball obviously uh, I would be I would be willing to wager that somebody the, one of the most called out names would be Stephen Curry when you're calling when you're talking about you know favorite player or whatever it is uh, most influential player even though it's maybe not as far sighted for a high school kid because that's all they've ever seen but the game has significantly changed around Stephen Curry since he has come into the league he dropped 50 points in a game seven the most points in a single game seven in NBA history. He passed, I believe it was Dominic Wilkins who had like, or no, Kevin Durant, excuse me, Kevin Durant had 49 at uh, one point. And when he was playing with Brooklyn against the Bucks, I think that was in like a second or a first round series two years ago or a year ago, something like that. Um, and Stephen Curry now again, putting his name in the record books once again. And you know, it's not like he's come in and it's a little different than somebody like Ray Allen who granted, also one of the greatest shooters of all time. Maybe going back to Reggie Miller, we haven't seen anybody like Stephen Curry who can lead the entire team with just his ability to shoot the basketball. Anytime there's nobody in the history of the game of basketball that you can say legitimately. I mean, it's it's a it's a hyperbole, hyper, hyperbolic phrase most of the time when you hear this, but you have to guard him literally when he crosses half court. For the most part, whenever you hear somebody say that, it's kind of hyperbolic. You know, it's kind of a way of saying he's hot. You know, he, he feels like he can make it from everywhere. But Steph Curry, it's completely true. Like you have to guard, be able to guard him from basically half court in order to say you're doing a successful job at guarding him. The guy is unstoppable. I mean, he is the, one of the most incredible basketball players that I've ever seen play in the game. And I think he and, and let me let me preface this by I'm not going to say I'm not saying he is the best player of the 2010s. Obviously, absolutely not. I still think LeBron overall is the much better player uh, career wise. And he's the second greatest basketball player in total of all time. No doubt in my mind. I don't I'm not going to say LeBron's better than Stephen Curry or excuse me. Stephen Curry's better than LeBron. Excuse me. LeBron is better than Stephen Curry. I'm not going to say Steph is better than LeBron, but uh, just looking career retrospective, I would say more influentially. Uh, Steph Curry is the more influential player over that same amount of time as LeBron. LeBron, one of the two best players in NBA history, depending on who you ask. Uh, but it's hard to see him as he was, uh, he was influential, but it's hard to see him as somebody that people can look up to because of how he is built. I would say as part of it, uh, the way he plays is very ferocious. He's built like an ox looks like he was carved out of marble from the gods themselves uh but he's six foot nine 250 pounds whereas somebody like Steph Curry who six foot two 188 85 pounds kids can look at Steph Curry six foot two 185 pounds and be like yeah I could be that I mean I I if you're especially in middle school getting into high school 
you could see yourself hitting a growth spurt, just getting the six two, and be like, if I can just shoot the ball well, I can become Steph Curry. It's different when you're looking at LeBron James, who, like I said, just cut absolutely, you know, built out of out of his mind, driving insane, dunking on people, six foot nine, two hundred fifty pounds, can charge through basically every single person. Most high school kids are going to see that and be like, I'll, I'll never be able to do that because of how big he is at at the height and just in weight. But you see Steph Curry. And kids are able to maybe relate a little bit more to his ability because you're seeing less of the, uh, and this is not a slight on Steph Curry by any means, but less of the physical aspect of Steph Curry and more of the ability just to shoot. And I think that is more uh, something that kids can relate to more than anything else, that they can see themselves as somebody that Steph Curry, Steph Curry, for the most part, somebody that goes onto the court and is almost always going to be the smallest guy on the court. And high school kids, middle school kids can see that and relate to that in a better way than LeBron. LeBron, you know, you've, you've looked at LeBron all through high school as basically the biggest guy on the court, no matter who he's playing against in terms of, you know, muscular and sometimes even height, um, maybe not more in the NBA, but especially through high school. And then, you know, depending on what lineups you're doing, then especially uh, he can be one of the one of the bigger guys in uh, any lineup that you're playing in. But Steph Curry, almost always going to be one of the smallest people that uh, that that are out on the court. So I would be willing to wager that because of all those aspects, his ability to shoot, how uh, how he's kind of rebuilt that franchise, Golden State, for the most part. It's a West Coast franchise that gets a lot of a lot of media attention when they're actually playing well. You know, he's got the the rings to prove his success and his ability uh, as a shooter, he's got the MVPs to prove that he's uh, of his ability and a shooter. The all-star appearances, the all-NBA appearances, you know, you name it. He's got the accolades to prove that he is that guy, you know, the influential player that he is. It's not like we're just talking about somebody that just comes in, spot-up shooter. He does all of it. I mean, he shoots. He's a fantastic dribbler. He can, you know, if he has to go down the lane and lay it up, he's one of the best at drawing fouls that way. And when he gets to the line... He's shot 90% like four seasons or maybe more than that, like four, five, six seasons or something like that in his career. So he's somebody that kids can look up to, see a lot of themselves, even though it's not that easy. I mean, uh, he's very clearly perfected his craft, um, but it's easier to look up to him if you're a child and see yourself becoming a Steph Curry as the smallest guy in uh, on the court at all times, basically, and being able to shoot the ball over people and be. Uh, effective with your craft, even though it's not necessarily the craft that we have become so accustomed to when it comes to the game of basketball. Uh, whereas you see LeBron James, it was a lot of the early days of basketball where, you know, the three point was kind of seen three pointer was seen as something that players of spot up shooting. It wasn't seen as an effective primary focal point for an offense, I guess is what I should say. It was kind of not necessarily a bailout, but something if you're driving to the lane and somebody's wide open, then you kick it out to them. But that was it. I mean, it wasn't somebody you would focus on, hey, that we're setting a screen strictly for a three-point shot, which is what we got a lot of with Steph Curry. And then later, uh, Clay Thompson as well. So I would be, you know, I think Steph Curry, I I don't think he's better than LeBron in the grand scheme of things or anything like that, but I think I'm, I, I'm totally in the correct territory is saying he's probably one of the top 10, top 15 players of all time. Uh, and I think he has been more influential to the game over the past 15 years than uh, LeBron has over that same amount of time. In my opinion, I think Steph Curry has uh, changed the game from the top to the bottom, his ability to shoot the basketball and the way that Warriors team has basically constructed itself and won four championships based on the construction around Steph Curry has fundamentally changed the way NBA teams look at um, constructing their own team in that sense. We've kind of gone, maybe not not necessarily backwards a little bit, but if you look at like the MVPs and stuff like that, it's maybe taken a step backwards a little bit. But then you look at the championships and it still seems like a lot of the high scoring, high shooting teams are the ones that really make it to the end, regardless of if they have MVPs or not. Um that make it to the NBA finals and then end up winning the championship. So I was just in awe of what Steph Curry is still able to do. I mean, the guy's 35 years old now and not necessarily, you know, he's not old, but he, I would say he's getting towards the end of his prime for sure. 
he's still averaging like 30 points a game this season. So I, I mean, I'm not really willing to say he's taking, you know, you know, obviously not taking a step backwards or anything like that, but I mean, 35, you got to expect at some point, unless you're LeBron James, that the slowdown has to become, has to be coming soon, I guess is what I would say. Um, but yeah, I, I just, uh, 50 points in a game seven on the road in a crazy rowdy uh, arena like Sacramento, who hasn't seen a game seven since 2002, where a lot of the, the kids that were at that game in 2002 probably have children of their own now that took their kids to game seven in 2023. Um, I mean, they watched, you know, one of the most influential stars in the history of the game. And I just think we need to not necessarily respect it more because I think he gets enough respect as it is, but maybe uh, pay attention to it more as that as influential more so than uh, is he the greatest of all time? Because then you're getting into a whole semantics argument, but I think you can willingly look at the NBA and just basketball in general and say, since Steph Curry came into the league, it has drastically changed the way we look at basketball since 2009, 2010. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program. And it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood, at 307 Real Estate, could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agent. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call. Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7200. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. All right, let's move on. Uh, Let's take a look at Two massive upsets that happened over the past weekend, um, over the past week, really, both happening in the same generic location, South Florida, South Florida, for some reason, the Heat have been a juggernaut in basketball, basically, since D Wade got there. And then the Panthers, who basically the opposite of the Heat that were there, the Panthers are probably living in the prime of their hockey existence, to be honest with you, for the most part. Uh, but they, the Heat and the Panthers, Florida, by the way, uh, hockey town or question mark, just the entire state hockey, hockey state question mark. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning have been a a, a dominant team in Florida since what the mid two thousand or mid twenty tens, right? Something like that. Uh, and the Panthers now all of a sudden coming up and upsetting, pulling off one of the biggest upsets in the history of hockey, if not the history of sports, um, as well as the Heat upsetting. Even though it felt like after. The Heat go up 3-1. Uh, Jimmy Butler just carries the Heat to go up 3-1. Did it really feel like... I mean, the, the Bucks were still favored, I think, by like 13.5 going into Game 5. Um, but did it really... I mean, 13.5 felt like a lot. I mean, just period. And if you go down 3-1 and you're favored by 13.5, I think it was the first time in NBA history, if I remember reading correctly. I don't remember who had the official stat, but I think I remember reading correctly that the, they were, the Bucks were 13 and a half favorite, 13 and a half point favorites down three, one. That was the first team in NBA history that being down three, one, uh, they had been a, that any team in NBA history had been a 13 and a half or double digit favorite going down three, one. Uh, and that felt like, I mean, obviously it was a lot because it did not end up going that way, but 13 and a half is so somebody get the books messed up. Uh, let's talk about that. The heat it's basically Jimmy Butler and nobody else. I mean, Bam played very good in game five. Granted, he's been very inconsistent for that team. Uh, the last basically every single playoff season, except for I think in the bubble, he played pretty well. But after that, ever since then, every time they've been in the playoffs, it's been kind of iffy for Bam. Uh, but then it's Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Buckets. Is there? I think Jimmy Butler is the prime example 
maybe more so than Kawhi, because Kawhi has a little bit of this as well. Uh, the prime example of resting during the regular season so you can prepare for the playoffs has some sort of positive effect. Jimmy Butler is the prime example of that because he does not play necessarily, I mean, anywhere near as good as this in the regular season. They kind of rely heavily on a guy like Bam Adebayo who plays very well in the regular season and everybody else around him. Not not saying Jimmy Butler plays bad or anything like that during the regular season by any means, uh, but he doesn't play as um, focused, as angry, if you will, as primed, if you will. Uh, and whenever he gets in the playoffs, Jimmy Butler just, and we talked about it a little bit last week, he was having an insane first round against the Bucks, And uh, Kawhi does kind of the same thing where, I mean, not kind of the same thing. He, for whatever reason, it seems like Kawhi is very much, I will just rest most of the regular season and then play in the playoffs. Granted, it hasn't paid off for Kawhi nearly as much, but when he is on the floor, when Kawhi is on the floor, he is one of the like healthy and on the floor and playing well in his prime, playing as well as anybody. Uh, Kawhi is one of the top 10, top five players in the NBA, in my opinion, just because of how well-rounded of a player on every aspect of the, in every aspect of the game that he is. Um, and Jimmy's kind of similar. I don't think Jimmy, Jimmy's not as good as Kawhi in that sense. Uh, I think Kawhi is probably when, when Kawhi turns it on, I think he is basically unstoppable. He basically becomes uh, Kevin Durant on offense, whereas he becomes Michael Jordan on D or Scottie Pippen on defense. He's one of the most unstoppable players in the NBA when he actually turns it on. But granted, he's, dealt with injuries the last, I don't know, five years or something like that. Basically since he left Toronto, he's been, and even before that, when he was with the Spurs, he was dealing with injuries. Um, so Jimmy's kind of gone that same route when it comes to, um, the regular season feels like it doesn't matter as much to either one of those guys. And, you know, but they both have had to deal with injuries over, over that time as well. But even when they're on the court during the regular season, it does feel like at times they're just like, you know, we're just doing this to get to the playoffs. And then when the playoffs come around, then we'll really turn it on. And, and it's, you know, then that is Jimmy Butler's specialty for whatever reason. He plays like an absolute maniac when he's in the playoffs. He was, and and I know Giannis was in this series, obviously he was hurt. And I think Giannis was probably dealing with a little bit more of an injury. And this is not taking anything away from the heat. I mean, the fact that even if Giannis was dealing with an injury and he was still on the court and he was playing pretty well in game five for the most part. I mean, he missed a lot of free throws and, and the entire team just got freezing cold in the fourth quarter in overtime. Um, but when Giannis was on the floor, uh, I do think he was maybe dealing with a little bit more of an injury, but I think Jimmy Butler was by far the best player in this series when he was on the court. There was nobody that could have stopped him. I would have liked to have seen, and this is, I mean, Budenholzer, man. I, I understand Budenholzer was going through a situation uh, at, at home, a personal situation. His brother had passed away in a car accident during the series. Um, and, I, you know, I can't imagine having to coach through something like that, which I can't imagine he was in a great headspace during most of the series. And I'm sure that probably played a part of what was a lot that was going on. Like, I don't have any doubt in that, obviously. Um, but I mean, again, there were just times where Budenholzer was um, going back to old Budenholzer ways where he was not making the proper adjustments. And you can kind of, uh, you know, take that for granted, given what was going on in his personal life, whatever you want to do, obviously. But there was those are just observations. I'm not saying it was because of that or anything like that. It was just, you know, he had timeouts he didn't use in the fourth quarter with whatever. It was one and a half seconds left after Jimmy Butler made that insane shot to tie the game. He still had a timeout. He decided not to take it uh, to try to get move the ball up to half court and then get another play in, you know, a lob to Giannis or, or Lopez or something like that. Uh, and then in overtime, when the final play of the game just kind of fell apart on the Bucks. I mean, Grayson Allen had the ball. Chris Middleton had the ball to get a shot up. He had no idea where he was or what he was doing. Giannis Antetokounmpo falls over the guy that you probably more than likely want the ball who wants the ball in that situation. Uh, and then Grayson Allen drives to the cup and doesn't even get a shot up at some point during that play. I think you have to call a timeout because it looked like it was completely muddied and in shambles the entire time. Um, and a lot of people are going to, you know, question his decision-making on a lot of that stuff and rightfully so. And like in 2021, after they won a title against the Suns, I thought this was the beginning. I thought that was the beginning of a new Dynasty. I thought the the Warriors were kind of. I mean, they were in a little bit of a lull there at that point. Uh, they were having some injury issues, obviously with Durant, or excuse me, with uh, Thompson. 
Curry was going through some injuries. Draymond Green was going through injuries. They were showing some sort of age. And no doubt, obviously, the Warriors had been up to this, up to that point, the dynasty of the time. No doubt. Um, and I thought in 2021, after the uh after the Bucks won, I thought this was the beginning. I thought we were gonna have the new dynasty kind of sort itself out a little bit. Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think, was like 26 when they won in 2021, and they were still able to keep a lot of the pieces of that championship-winning team together. Drew Holiday was still there, is still there. Brooke Lopez, uh, uh, Bobby Portis, the 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 Draymond-esque character that they have on their team, as well as uh, Chris Middleton, the 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 shot spacer for a guy like Giannis who. Doesn't necessarily shoot the ball very well, but, you know, drives. But a guy like Chris Middleton could space it very well because he shoots the three ball very well. And they were able to keep a lot of those guys. And I thought that was the beginning of another something special. I thought we were going to be able to see the Bucks make it to the finals or get to the conference finals year after year after year. But since then, they've all basically uh, that team has gone backwards. Uh, they lost in the semifinals last year against the Boston Celtics, granted in seven games. And the Celtics, obviously, another team that feels like it's very much on the rise as well. Uh, and then this year, losing as the one seed to an eight seed in five games in the list. Granted, Giannis was injured for a couple of them, and it felt like he was still dealing with some sort of injury throughout the rest of that season uh, series, even when he was playing. Uh, but regardless, I mean, as a team, as that team, you can't be going backwards after winning in 2021 without there beginning to be questions about who is leading the pack. And that in my opinion, falls on. I think the roster construction is there, but I think it, for the most part, falls on um, Mike Budenholzer. And after a series like that, I, I cannot imagine there is a scenario in which we see Mike Budenholzer coming back and coaching the Milwaukee Bucks. You can't win in 2021 when you have a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo. You just re-signed him, and he is on the verge of, I mean, he's in his prime, essentially, in the middle of his prime. You can't be wasting seasons away losing in the first round and then in the semifinals granted that one was a little bit closer than the eight seed upsetting the one seed when it was in five games um but you can't be wasting seasons like that if you're uh the leader of the team the head coach then you know you have to be able to uh take the team to the next level even after 2021 after you've won a championship you have to be able to keep it consistently there or people are going to start asking questions, and I think we're basically at that point with Mike Budenholzer uh, right now. So I would personally be stunned. I would be stunned if we saw Budenholzer back uh, coaching the Bucks. And I think a lot of the, from what I've read, a lot of the media members are kind of in the same boat. I think uh, a lot of the media, from what they've heard from their sources, quote unquote, um, I think a lot of them would be surprised to see Budenholzer back again as well from a lot of the things I'd read. But, you know, hats off to the Heat. I, I mean, that's the thing. The Heat now, I mean, they just took out their toughest competition in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the number one seed, Boston's going to be very difficult if they have to go up against Boston. They're playing the Knicks right now, which if they can beat Milwaukee, they can beat the Knicks. No offense to the Knicks. Granted, I mean, they were throwing a party on 7th Street after winning in the first round. You know, that's kind of been Knicks basketball for the last 20 years. And by the way, let me let me say something really quick. Okay, Knicks, listen, Knicks. All right, I appreciate you guys. I, I understand you're one of the founders of NBA basketball, one of the one of the leaders in NBA basketball. But why do why do we call the Garden the Mecca? Like, why do we do that? I, I don't understand. I understand it's 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 Madison Square Garden. It's in New York City. It's a fabled arena. But here's the thing: one, the Mecca of what? It's not the Mecca of basketball. It hasn't been the Mecca of basketball since the '70s when they actually won something. I would argue it hasn't been the Mecca of basketball since the 90s when Patrick Ewing was there. Ever since Ewing left, it's been more of a Mecca for hockey than it has the Mecca for basketball. It's more of a Mecca for combat sports than it is a Mecca for basketball. It's more of a Mecca for like the UFC and professional boxing events than it is a Mecca for basketball because they haven't been good. This is The team that they have out there right now that's down one nothing to the Miami Heat as of Tuesday is probably the best team that they've had since Patrick Ewing retired. I I don't think I'm out of left field for the, maybe a team from the Carmelo Anthony years. The I think I want to say the 2013 team when they had Carmelo Anthony, but I still think this team that they have right now is the best team that they've had in probably 20 years, maybe even longer than that, maybe 25 years. Uh, it's I mean whenever I hear Knicks fans call it the mecca, I the mecca of what? What are you talking about? The mecca for basketball because they're arguably 25 other arenas in 
the country that have been more of a quote unquote mecca for basketball. I would argue that the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, I don't even remember, AT&T Stadium in Dallas is more of a mecca for basketball because they hold final fours there and they play actual meaningful basketball in that arena. And that's a football stadium. I don't know why I'm going at the Knicks and Madison Square Garden so hard. I just, I find it so funny when they, when Knicks fans call it the Mecca, quote unquote, but it's not a Mecca for anything that the Knicks who the Knicks fans who they're rooting for is should be called the Mecca for. It should be called the Mecca more for like the concerts than it is Knicks basketball. Like Knicks basketball is probably the, the least the, the out of a list of top things. They're probably towards the bottom of reasons why it's called the Mecca. Anyways, I'm sorry. I don't know. I just, the, 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 the Mecca thing from Knicks fans is always funny to me because it's not really the Mecca for the Knicks. I mean, it's not really known as a Mecca for the Knicks, at least in the last 20 years. I'll give you, you know, Patrick Ewing. That's when you could have called it the Mecca. Like, no doubt. I would argue, you know, where the Chicago Bulls played was probably more of a Mecca than where the Knicks were playing at that point. But, you know, whatever. Anyways, let's move on. Speaking of the Mecca, where the Rangers play. How about that for a transition? Uh, the other upset, the Bruins. There was an upset Bruin. <laughs> yes, you, you got it. Uh, the Bruins, probably, you know, granted, I'm not the most well-versed hockey fan. I'm trying to get better at it. I understand if I, I apologize if I'm coming off as a little naive. But the Bruins, for the most part, from everything that I've read, the greatest regular season hockey team of all time this past year. Uh, well, I now for them this past year, but this season overall, uh, they were probably they were the best regular season hockey team of all time. Correct. Everybody's nodding their heads right now. I would assume uh, they won the president's trophy and they got knocked off in seven games by the Florida Panthers. A, a place Boston's got to take this with. They got to be upset about this, right? Like it's Boston and your hockey. You know it's cold in Boston. You lost to the Florida Panthers. They have fake ice in their arena. They don't, they can't make ice there. It's never cold enough to make ice. They got fake ice. They're skating around fake ice. And the Bruins lost in seven games. The greatest regular season hockey team of all time lost to the Panthers. I believe the Panthers had, uh, gave the Bruins a third of their losses this season, which is, that is baffling, uh, given how good the Bruins were and the fact that the Panthers were essentially the eighth seed uh, when they were taking on the Bruins. The fact that, they handed the Bruins the eight seed or the eight seed handed the Bruins a third of their losses this season in regular season and in postseason is crazy. Uh, by the way, president's trophy. If you're like a hockey team, just don't just try your best not to win that. I think as an outsider looking in, let's just not just don't win that. Let's not win that. For those that you don't know, president's trophy is given to uh, the hockey team with the best regular season record. And I believe we can now confirm it as a curse. All the presidents got together, the passed away presidents, the dead presidents, if you will, got together and they decided to curse this trophy because only two teams in the past 20 years that have won the president's trophy have gone on to win the Stanley Cup. I think it's eight years in a row now that the team that has won the president's trophy in the regular season has not gone on to win the Stanley Cup. And it's only been two teams in the past 20 years that have not got that have won the, the, the Stanley Cup after winning the president's cup. So if you're the Bruins, or anybody, any other hockey team, really, in the NHL, just don't win that thing. Just don't do it. You don't have to. You know, you don't. What, what does winning the regular season get you? The, the President's Trophy. But then you have to think about, yeah, we won the regular season, but then we choked it away in seven games in the first round to the Panthers, who we were up three-one and lost three home games to. Not great. Not great. Let's not do that. They shouldn't do that no more. So, if you're a hockey team, here's my piece of advice. Not the smartest hockey guy on the planet. Here's my piece of advice. Just don't win the president's trophy. You know, come in second. You can win. You, you can go in second. You're still the best team. I'm pretty sure that's how the Tampa Bay Lightning have been doing things. You know, they were just basically holding off on bringing out guys from like their injured list or whatever it is, essentially, and then bringing them in for the playoffs. And then they just dominate everybody on their way to winning a Stanley Cup. Essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm in the right. I'm in the ballpark. No pun intended. It's not really a ballpark, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, I think that's kind of what the Lightning have been doing, right? They're like, you know, we don't need to be playing this hard for most of the regular season, and then we'll bring our best guys out for the playoffs. I think I read somewhere that that was kind of the kind of the thought of the Tampa Bay Lightning for the most part, and that's why they became kind of a dynasty in South Florida in hockey for in hockey South Florida hockey 
when I think of South Florida, I don't think of hockey, but for some reason they've got a dynasty down there in Tampa Bay that is, well, was cruising pretty smoothly. I think they just lost in seven games to the, uh, to the Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe not seven games, maybe less than that, but they just lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So not, maybe not a dynasty anymore, but they, they had one for sure. Um, here's the other thing too. Boston Bruins, like I said, one of the, if the greatest regular season hockey team of all time, um, ever in the history of the NHL. And that's also a bad idea for basically every other major sport that we have. Here's a tip to kids. If you're listening, here's a tip to you. Don't try so hard in the regular season. This is a bad tip. Okay. For the most part, I'm being, I'm kind of joking, but not really when it comes to professionals, not really. Uh, here, here's your list of greatest teams in the history of regular season. 2001 Mariners. Baseball, 2001, Seattle Mariners. One of the greatest collections of talent of all time. Won 116 games that season in 2001. Guess what happened to them? They didn't even make the World Series. Didn't even make it. They got beat out by the New York Yankees, I believe, in the Divisional or the ALCS. I can't remember exactly. I believe it was the Divisional. Lost in five games to the Yankees. 116 wins, regular season wins. You know what got them? Zilch. Got them absolutely nothing. 2016 Golden State Warriors in the NBA, 73 win season. They passed the Chicago Bulls of 96, 97, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. I think it was 96, 97. That won 72 games. They went 72 and 10, the Chicago Bulls did. And then 2016 Golden State Warriors went 73 and 9, the greatest regular season team we've ever seen. And for the most part, I think a lot for everybody that was watching, the greatest team in the history of basketball. Guess what they did? Everybody knows them. Blue 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals. LeBron James wins in seven games with Cleveland. Storybook ending for LeBron. Golden State, 73 wins. Doesn't mean zilch. Didn't mean a single thing. They have 73 wins on the record, but, you know, everybody, you got to have the ring at the end. Here's the best one. The the number one comparison, I think, for a lot of people. 2007 New England Patriots. They get all the way to the big old Super Bowl against the New York Giants. They're 18-0. Haven't lost a single game throughout the entire season 18 and 0 going into the super bowl you know what happens to them they lose 17 to 14 against the middling new york giants no offense to the giants super bowl champions but they were not anywhere shouldn't have been anywhere near new england's uh stratosphere going into this game for whatever reason new york giants shut down the potent new england patriot offense and the giants win 17 to 14 go on win the ring New England finishes the season 18 and one and the one loss, the biggest of them all, the one that they needed to complete the perfect season and they lose. So the conclusion, maybe don't try so hard in the regular season. You know, let's cool it out. Gets, if you're the Warriors, get 65 wins, you know, good 60 win season. Those are rare. You know, that's, that's rare to do. That's not easy. 65 wins. That's pretty insane. If you're able to do that and then go in, cruise into the playoffs. You haven't used all your gas in the regular season. Cruise in, cruise through the playoffs, finish off the war, uh, the the Cavaliers uh, after going up 3-1, finish them off, make it 4-1, you're a champion, 65-win team, and you're still considered one of the greatest teams of all time. Mariners, you know, let's win 112 games. And, and actually, let's win 108 games. Still one of the greatest regular seasons of all time. You can cruise through the Yankees in New York. You can beat whoever was in the World Series at that point. I think it was the Diamondbacks. Beat the Diamondbacks in uh, in, in Arizona or whatever in six games. You're a World Series champion, one of the greatest regular season teams of all time, plus a World Series champion, so that means you could be one of the greatest teams of all time. New England Patriots, a little bit different. I understand that one. You're chasing 16-0, chasing the perfect season that's only been done by one team in the history of the NFL. I think when you have the talent and you see it, you're like, okay, we can actually get to 16-0. It's a little bit different because perfect going 18-19-0 or whatever is like the ultimate goal for every NFL team. And it's something that actually can be done because it's been done before by, you know, the, the dolphins in 1972. And basically everybody's been chasing the 1972 dolphins ever since. So it's a little different for football. I think for the, for the, for the NFL, in my opinion, even though the games have increased in terms of amount of games. So, you know, I mean, take it with you, but it's at least possible to go perfect through the regular season and then perfect through the playoffs, even though it's even harder now because you've only increased the amount of games that we've played in the NFL. So, I mean, there's, there's, here's the thing, 2007 New England Patriots, maybe go like 14 and three at that point, or I guess it would have been 14 and two because there were 16 games, maybe go 14 and two, you know, and then you go 
win the Super Bowl, then you're 19 and 0, or excuse me, 19 and 2, Super Bowl champion, one of the greatest teams of all time. That that's a little bit better, I think. So that's my conclusion for that. Here, Bruins next year, if you're the Boston Bruins, if you're able to keep everybody together, maybe don't go for the best record of all time in the in the regular season. Go for like fourth best record of all time in the regular season and have or maybe not of all time. Maybe go tenth best record of all time in the regular season. Have somebody leapfrog you in front, get that president's trophy, grab that curse, and then you can go forward and win the Stanley Cup. That's that's my that's my tip to Boston Bruins fans. That's what they should be doing. Hockey coach James Timberlake here. <laughs> okay, let's move on. We are officially one month down with the MLB. The MLB season is now officially one month gone. I know. I cannot believe it. It's only the first month out of six. So there's still a long season, but I can't believe we're already one month done with the MLB. It's crazy to me. Uh, so let's talk about some MLB surprises, some disappointments in the first month, shall we? Uh, first things first, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Who, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not paying attention to the MLB, here's what I'll tell you. Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, the laughing stock of the MLB for what the last 10 years, probably I would say maybe, maybe a little less than that, but still, I mean, even if it was seven years, it felt like 10, 15 years worth of laughter. But guess what? As of today, May 2nd, they're 20 and nine first, first in the NL Central, and the best record in the National League. They have a plus 48 run differential. Uh, I, I didn't see this coming. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They're solid on the road, 11-5 and five on the road so far, 9-4 and four at home. It's not like they're, you know, been playing a ton of games at home or anything like that. I, I don't know where they're doing this from. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Their biggest offseason move was, like, re-signing Andrew McCutcheon, who was 36 years old, uh, kind of a welcome home type thing. Hey, McCutcheon, come on back home to the Pittsburgh Pirates. That was kind of like the biggest thing. They also signed Carlos Santana, Rich Hill, Rich Hill, guys, Rich Hill, 43 years old, Rich Hill as a starting pitcher. Uh, okay, sure. That, yes, I'm sure Pirates fans were thrilled when they saw that the team, one of the big acquisitions that the team made was 43-year-old Rich Hill, which granted, Rich Hill has never, I, I think he has yet to really been to have been pelted out of the league, if that makes sense. He hasn't been shelled so bad that it's like, okay, this is kind of the end game for you. It it has not happened yet. But so here he is. He's still got that curveball that's like 48 miles an hour that gets into the zone somehow, and people don't just destroy it. So he's still around. Uh, All three of those guys have been pretty productive too, McCutcheon especially. And even Brian Reynolds, who requested a trade at the beginning of the season because he didn't see this team being very good at all. He re-signed with the Pirates after the start that they've had an eight-year, $106.75 million extension, which, by the way, pretty good deal, all things considered. Brian Reynolds, switch hitting, center fielder. He's only probably going to go down in terms of value because center fielders do not necessarily age that well uh, because it is a position that you have to be able to be young, fast at, have you know uh, an arm that is good enough to get to certain places on the field that does not necessarily go with aging well, if that makes sense. Uh, but Brian Reynolds, $106 million deal, eight year over eight years, a pretty good extension for the Pirates, to be honest with you. They lost O'Neill Cruz with a broken ankle. Uh, he, and to be honest with you, right then and there, I thought that was the end of the season. I was like, okay, Cruz is out. Uh, the Pirates season, let's see where they land when it comes to the MLB draft. But out of nowhere, 20 and nine, through the first almost 30 games of the season, uh, through the first month of the season. Absolutely killer from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, We'll see how well they do. I think they're like next 12 games are against Toronto, Baltimore, and Tampa, I think, or something like that. So, you know, we'll see. This this is where it'll really get serious. We'll see if they're able to keep it going, if they're able to keep the hot start going. But, hey, through the first month, the Pittsburgh Pirates leading the NL Central. I don't think anybody had that on their bingo card or their other or their list of uh their list of predictions for the early part of the season uh next you can't talk about the start of the season you can't talk about april anymore this season without talking about the tampa bay rays they started the season 13 and 0 they won their first 14 games at home i stated at the beginning of the uh, in my quote unquote predictions for the season i was like the tampa rays they gotta they gotta fall down at some point there's no way they can keep this going uh, little did I know they look like the, this looks like the best team that the Rays have ever had. Uh, and I don't get it. You know, I don't understand how they're still doing this. Uh, they out, they've out homered their opponents by a stat by 61 to 19, 
61 homers to 19 given up. That's outscoring. They outscored their opponents by 103 runs. That's a 3.55, 3.55 run differential. The Dodgers, they won 111 games last season with a 2.06 per game run differential. The Rays have a 3.55 run differential. And the Dodgers won 111 games last season with a 2.06 per game run differential. That's pretty insane. Uh, the, the schedule hasn't been the strongest, obviously. It's not like they were playing through a juggernaut, but still. 13 in a row, 14, 14, uh, their first 14 at home is insane. Absolutely insanity. They've had an, an incredible start of the season. Wander Franco is playing very well, uh, and they're still doing it without Tyler Glasnow. They lost Jeffrey Springs for the rest of the season, but when Glasnow comes back, they're probably going only going to get better if they get Glasnow from like two years ago. They're only going to get better. I don't understand how they keep doing this with their pitchers. It feels like they have a new pitcher that just seems completely dominant and unstoppable at the start of every single season. I don't know how they keep doing it. I, I The Rays, they have discovered the ability to just pump out pitchers in their farm system like it's nothing. Like, like it's nothing. I don't understand it. I, I would love to know how they do their scouting because it is one of the most incredible things that we see in the world. If there, there's not a single, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, if there is a single team in any other sport that gets their pitching as correct as the Rays do, because it feels like every single season, their bullpen is stellar. Their starting pitching is incredible just year after year after year. Uh, there's nobody else that does it better than the Rays when it comes to evaluating pitching. There's nobody better. It's unreal what they're able to do. Uh, so the Rays, obviously one of the best starts in the league. And I said, I said at the beginning, my, my prediction at the beginning of the year where I was like, you know, they got to come down at some point. It feels like this is the year that they're going to come down. And I was completely wrong. Just the exact opposite. Literally one of the best, start, well, probably the best start in MLB history, if not the greatest start in the history of, in, in uh, the history of April's in MLB history. So congrats to the Rays. I, I can't believe I was that wrong. Another team that has been a little bit of a surprise. I think, I think I had a prediction that this team was going to be pretty good. I think I was, this team was going to surprise some people, and that's the Baltimore Orioles. They've played pretty solid so far this season. I think they're in second in the AL East. They are in second behind the Tampa Bay Rays. They're 19-9 and nine on the season. They got a plus 25 run differential. They've been very good so far this year. And, and it's about time. The Orioles fans, they're some of the most passionate in the league uh, when they're there. They're, you know they are there in Baltimore. They're a very passionate fan base. They got a great, a great set of fans there, and uh, it's about time because they have. You can see. I think I said previously in my in when I was doing predictions and stuff like that. I think I, I said you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it feels like it's getting closer and closer by the day. Gunnar Henderson, one of their top prospects, is coming up uh, for them, and then Adley Rutschman, one of their top prospects, has been playing for them obviously, and he's been great so far. Uh, they have one of the highest walk rates in the MLB, which is helping their offense a ton. Uh, and some of their, you know, their free agency signings has shown out a little bit. Felix Batista seems like he's going to be one of the best closers in the le- in the league for uh, for years to come. Uh, they had one of the worst losses in the MLB, I think, uh, earlier this season at the start of the season in just their second game. Uh, Ryan McKenna dropped a routine game-ending fly ball that eventually ended in a walk-off home run for like the next batter. I think it was Adam Duvall who had a walk-off home run then like next at bat. Um, But even after that, they're still plowing along. Looks like the Baltimore Orioles are finally beginning to see the gold at the end of the rainbow, if you will, with all the prospects that they've signed and the crazy farm system they've been able to put together. Uh, That was my next one on my list. That's the last of the surprises, I would say. I think maybe the Rangers could be on there a little bit as well. They've been pretty solid. Uh, they just lost to Grom, though. Unfortunately, we'll see for how long he just had to go to the IL. But, you know, for the most part, on the for the entire team in general, I think they've played a little bit better than a lot of people expected. Um, but I think for the most part, in terms of surprises, those are probably the biggest, uh, the biggest three Brewers have played well as well. But I think everybody kind of expected the Brewers to be good. Maybe not this good, but still pretty solid. Um, so... You know, those are the big surprises. So disappointments. Let's talk about disappointments. Uh, the Astros can be on there. Obviously, they haven't played very well this year. Uh, they got a very slow start. They started three and six in the first nine games. Some of the members of the rotation uh, started pretty slow and so on and so forth. They lost Jose Altuve during the WBC. So, you know, and they've turned it around just a tad. It's not like they're blowing anybody's, you know, blowing anybody away at this point. They're 16 and 13 now. They've won seven. They're seven and three in their last 10. So uh, defending World Series champions. 
you know, sure, you could put them on the disappointing list, but more so on the disappointing list, the Dodgers. I said earlier uh, in, in the beginning of the season, I thought the Dodgers were probably going to have the, uh, in terms of their standards, probably one of their, probably not one of their best teams in terms of how well they were put together. I think this is probably, this is a team that lacks probably the most amount of depth that the Dodgers have had in the last five, 10 years, probably. Uh, and it's kind of shown that they're, they're, they're pitching probably needs some help other than Kershaw. Kershaw has been pretty solid, but their pitching definitely needs some help. Uh, they've turned it around a little bit. They're seven and three in their last 10. They've won four in a row. Uh, they're at the top of the NL West, even though the, I mean, the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks are on the top of the NL West for a little bit there as well. That's a possible surprise, but we'll see as they keep going. Uh, and, but now the Dodgers lead in the NL West after I think they won last night against the Diamondbacks, but uh, the back of the rotation hasn't been very good. And their lineup isn't nearly as deep as it has been in the last in the last five, ten years. Uh, they do have Max Muncy playing out of his mind, James Outman playing out of their mind. Muncy, I think, is leading the league in home runs so far. So, you know, pretty good for them. But other than that, uh, him and James Outman, they've been, I mean, Mookie Betts is still playing well as well. But for the most part, just lacking a little bit of depth overall uh, that we're used to seeing from the Los Angeles Dodgers. The other team that I have on here, uh, another team that I have on there is the Padres. Another team that even with all of the money in the world that they spent in the offseason, they still somehow lack depth. They had Bruton and Odor in right field. Granted, Fernando Tatis is back after he was finishing off his suspension. Joe Musgrove is back after coming back from injury. But Juan Soto is playing like garbage. Uh, Manny Machado was playing like garbage for the first start of the season. Uh, and, you know, they were a little shaky to start the season. The the, the, uh, the Roger or Robert Suarez got hurt, I believe, and a little shaky around Josh Hader in the bullpen. So they spent an ungodly amount of money in the offseason, and they're still not very deep. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that they were still not going to be very deep? Uh, and then finally, the last team that I actually think are disappointing right now uh, are the New York Yankees. They've been a little disappointing so far. They're starting pitching, even though this is not the final product that they're going to have. The Yankees are not going to have this as their final product. I think Carlos Rodon... Luis Severino, they haven't even made any starts yet because of injuries, uh, and their fill-ins have not played very well. Garrett Cole's been insane. He's gone absolutely nuts so for the Yankees to start the season, but everybody else behind him has not been very good. Uh, and their offense has not looked very good. Aaron Judge has to basically do everything, but now he's going to the IL because of a hip strain, I believe. And even with Judge, their outfield has been garbage garbage when it comes to offensive production they are I, they're 29th in ops uh, oswaldo cabrera and aaron hicks have struggled mightily and then uh, franchi cordero franchi cordero just went back down to triple a so yankees they'll probably be able to turn around since i mean the injury bug has been stuck to the yankees it feels like for the last three four years to really be able to turn this team around they have to really be injury free and that's something that they've had real problems with giancarlo stanton Judges dealt with injuries. Uh, basically, it feels like every single year some major arm in their bullpen has dealt with injuries or a major arm in their starting lineup has dealt with injuries. And that's kind of continued to start the season with Carlos Rodon and Luis Severino not playing yet. Uh, and the, their fill-ins have not been very good either. So we'll see what the Yankees, you know, it was all overreactions last year when they started absolutely insane. And then they kind of cooled off in the second half. So maybe they're trying to turn around a little bit, start slow, and then they'll get hot. Maybe that's what they're doing. Uh, finally, I want to talk about the Rockies and the Athletics. So, Athletics and Rockies, literally zero expectations for either of those teams. These They weren't really disappointing or anything like that. Uh, but the Athletics, I, I'm surprised about how bad they really are, I, which is interesting to me because, you know, I shouldn't have expected anything else than what we have right now. Uh, Oakland, 6-23. and 23, They're they're terrible. Uh, they basically have half their foot out the door already because they signed that agreement to purchase land in uh, Las Vegas with the uh, with the uh, ambition to build a stadium there, I think by 2027, so the Oakland Athletics can leave. I don't think it's confirmed yet. I think it was more of like a forcing a hand, forcing of the hand type of move. If I remember reading correctly, there's no confirmation that they're actually leaving for Las Vegas yet or anything like that. Uh, but I mean, there's no reason to believe that they're going to stay in Oakland unless they get a new stadium or something like that. Then it's an, I mean, then they'll probably stay. Uh, but I mean, why would you at this point? They've been so bad. Uh, they've been run terribly, uh, basically run into the ground. And I don't know why thinking them going to Las Vegas. I mean, here's the thing. They'll move to Las Vegas. And to, in my opinion, this is no, to no fault of the players. I mean, they're just going to a place that gives them an opportunity. They're playing as hard as they can on a terrible team. That's just very poorly run for the most part. It's a bad owner, bad general manager. The team is just not very well run. 
And for whatever reason, they believe that moving to Las Vegas is going to fix all of their problems. And it's not. I mean, you're going to still have the same issues when you move to Las Vegas and you're still six for 29, except it's going to be a lot hotter in Las Vegas. if You're not building a dome. So, uh, you know, we'll see what the A's. I, I don't know what to expect out of them. I don't know if they're going to move or not. Uh, they have the, the stadium deal there and everything like that. So uh, every 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 pawn is in position to move, I guess, is what I would say. But I mean. We'll see. I, again, it's not going to fix anything. I feel bad for the Mar- for the A's fans because, again, A's fans are another, Oakland fans really in general, are another example of a team's fan base that is very passionate when they're actually good, which is understandable. I wouldn't want to go to A's games either. Um, and it, the stadium is a complete disaster, an absolute joke of a stadium. Uh, and when they're actually there, A's fans show out. They're some of the best fans in the country when it comes to baseball, some of the rowdiest fans in the country when it comes to baseball, uh, but there's just nothing to cheer for. I mean, they're terrible. They're just absolutely terrible, and it's disappointing to see, um, but we'll see what the ace. Uh, and finally, the Rockies. The only reason I want to talk about the Rockies is, one, obviously, they're local, uh, but one of my favorite quotes of all time came from this offseason. Dick Monfort, the owner for the Colorado Rockies, he said in January in the offseason this is basically after they've signed people. They're they're essentially getting ready to go with pitchers and catchers reporting in February. He said, quote, we have a lot of talent. A lot of good things are going to happen. And I think they're going to start happening this year. And I think we can play 500 baseball. How completely out of touch do you have to be as an owner to think that this Rockies team is going to compete for 500? Like that is so, 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 so absurd. Are there good things happening even a little bit? Is your farm system building? Uh, are you building any sort of thing of a farm system? You have one of the worst contracts in the MLB and Chris Bryant's contract. He just home. He just hit a home run in Coors Field for the first time uh, this pat in like, I think it was two, three weeks ago or something like that. Since signing with the Rockies, he signed with the Rockies two years ago. Oh, the Rockies two years ago. Granted, there were injuries. You know, he didn't play during a lot of that time, but still. One of the worst contracts in the MLB right now is Chris Bryant's and uh, the Rockies and Dick Monfort were like, I can't wait to sign him. And it's not like, you know, they're young and they're they're growing. They're getting to the point of being able to compete. They have the fourth oldest lineup in the MLB and one and their pitching. Their pitching is older than average in the MLB. It's terrible. There, there's no there. See, we were talking. The Orioles have a light at the end of the tunnel and the Rockies are driving the opposite way where the light at the end of the tunnel is behind them, which were their golden era, the early 2010s, you know, the late 2000s, the early 2010s, that's way behind them. And they're driving super fast, super far away from it. And yet Dick Monfort, granted, he's the owner. I don't expect him really to say anything less because he's the owner. He's not going to say, yeah, we're going to be terrible. But, you know, have a little bit more of self-awareness when you're talking about it. You know what I mean? Just don't say, yeah, we're going to compete. Uh, 500 baseball is definitely going to be there. That's definitely our goal. No, it's not. What are you talking about? You play in one of the tougher divisions in baseball in the NL West with a perennial powerhouse in the Los Angeles Dodgers and a team that spent more money than God made on earth in the Padres. You really think you're going to be able to compete with 500 baseball in the NL West? There's absolutely zero way. There's no way. And the fact that he believed that after he said that uh, blew my mind. I could not believe he said that. Uh, And... I mean, we're just, that's going to be a quote that's going to be continued to use throughout the rest of the year. And the fact that he is an owner of a baseball team that is that completely out of touch. Rockies fans, I feel for you. I don't see the end in sight for you guys. You're driving towards the black hole, the end of the tunnel, where like the maintenance area of the tunnel where there is no light. It's all artificial. It's not real light. Uh, and you'll sign the artificial light, which is like the Chris Bryant's. That'll get people in tickets. They'll, they'll, they'll get tickets. But once the light switch is turned off, it's still completely dark. And there's darkness all around you. That is that is the direction that the Rockies are going in right now. There is no exit to the tunnel at the moment. Okay, you got the fourth oldest lineup in all of baseball. You got older than average bullpen and starting pitching. It's just, it's not there. And the farm system isn't necessarily growing that fast either or effectively either. So Rockies fans, I feel for you. I, I will, I will hope you guys will get better. Cause I think it would be cool to have a regional team that is uh, in terms of baseball an actual good baseball team regionally. That is fun to watch. I think the closest team in the closest team to Wyoming that is actually good at baseball, probably the twins. Maybe they've played a little bit better this season, even though they historically, 
uh, over the last, you know, 20 some odd years. They had Joe Maurer in the late 2000s, but I mean, they weren't stellar or anything like that during that time. Uh, I would argue the St. Louis Cardinals, the Mariners, maybe, uh, maybe the Mariners, uh, even though they haven't been very good over the last 20 years either. So Rockies fans, I'll, 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 I'll hope for you. I hope, I hope they'll get better. But uh, if that is how out of touch the owner of the team is, the owner, the guy that should be kind of running a lot of this stuff other than the general manager, guy that should be keeping an eye on a lot of this stuff, then he's either got bad information or he is not paying attention. And either one is bad. Uh, so Rockies fans, I'll hope for you. I, I hope it gets better from here, but all signs point to nay. Uh, okay, that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap up the show today. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, please remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts now. Struggling before, we were having issues, but now it is all good. I checked it. We are clear and good to go on Apple Podcasts. So if you want to listen there on your old Apple phone, feel free. It is on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to it on Spotify. If that is your preferred destination for music and podcasts, you can listen to it there. Google Podcasts as well. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to this show. Uh, big thank you to Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate for sponsoring the show. Uh, wouldn't be able to do it without them, so make sure you support them. Support the people that support this show. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, and remember to leave a five-star rating if you can on any of those pad- podcasting platforms as well uh, for this podcast. I'd greatly appreciate that. It helps us get in the trending section, if you will, of those podcasting platforms. But for now, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.